All right, well, that's a, just a, a quick reminder that next Sunday is our Faith Promise Sunday. That video uh, there um, kind of explained a little bit about what, what that's all about. And, uh, and then also next, next week's a big week. Next week we also have our all-church cookout. Um, and so if you've been missing, like, you know, coming together and having fun as a church because, you know, global pandemic and all that, uh, Sunday, next Sunday, is the perfect time to come um, and, and bring your family, invite some friends. We're, we're going to have uh, bounce houses. We're going to have games. We're going to have food. Uh, we're also going to be pieing uh, most of the pastors. Uh, and, so, uh, and, and so you make your selection on who you want to see pied by putting uh, donations in the boxes out there. You probably saw the table with all the goofy faces. Uh, and I don't know why, but everybody's been picking on me. Uh, and I think it's because, like, I, I don't have a way to fight back up in the balcony, and you have a microphone down here. But I, I do want to point this out. Look around, and you're not going to see Pastor AJ here today, or Pastor Julie, or Pastor Amanda, or Pastor Nancy. Just me. And the reason for that is simple. I love you more. <laughs> and so when you go and make those selections later today and next week, just remember that. And also, I think Jim must have upset somebody because last week someone came up and said, hey, how come Jim's not there? We really want to see Jim get a pie in the face. Uh, and so I don't know if he didn't sing the right songs or what happened, but somebody really wants to get a pie in Jim's face. All right. So, oh, and also remember uh, that all the, the donations for that go to benefit the student ministry. Uh, a lot of those donations will go back to, uh, to fund the scholarships that we had already paid out for, for several kids to go to camp this last week. We just got back from camp on Thursday. It was lots of fun. Uh, we had about 20 of our uh, SPCN students attend uh, the camp and uh, there's about 40-something total. Uh, our, our very own Kelly Miner did an awesome job of organizing all kinds of fun activities. And so at any given time, there's like two or three different fun things happening. And so if a student left camp saying they didn't have any fun, it was only because they were actively trying to not have fun because there was all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, it was just a really great time. We had uh, great teaching, Pastor Steve Malcolm, um, He's in the, the Stonington Church, I think that's right. Uh, he, he did a lot of the teaching, and, and I really believe that uh, a lot of the teens left there with a new feeling of being renewed, uh, a new feeling of being connected to one another and connected to the other churches in the district. Uh, we've already been hearing lots of um, good reports back from, from students and from parents, uh, and, and I just, I hope that the teens and the students and even the adults left there a little bit inspired to continue and, and or to begin to participate in God's activity in the world. Anyway, that's a lot. I mean, I haven't even gotten to the sermon yet, and I'm like three pages in, uh, so we're in for a ride. Uh, all right, so we've been talking about being formed, right? This is our series, Formed. And, and part of this, uh, it's the idea that, that disciples of Jesus do not happen by accident, but we are formed. Uh, and we recognize in that that it is God's hands that are doing the forming. And our role in it is to submit to or to cooperate with or to participate in the formation that is happening so that we can become more and more made into the image of Christ. And again, recognizing that it's God that does the forming. 
Uh, and so the, this process of formation is a, a, something that God wants to bring all of us through. Uh, but sometimes we can resist it. No, not any of you, probably just me. Sometimes I can resist it, this process of formation. And, and we resist it by embracing or accepting a reality or an identity or a story that's contrary to the story or the reality or the identity that God has for us. And this is what I mean. Like We, we say different things sometimes. We, we say things like, well, I'm only human after all. And it's true, we are human. Uh, I don't know if the only belongs in front of there. That's a, perhaps a discussion for another time. I don't think we're only human, but, but we are human after all. But when we say that, even though it's true, most of the time, or a lot of the times we say that because we're trying to uh, justify or excuse or brush off some sort of action or attitude that we have that is probably a little bit less than human. Uh, or we say things like, well, this is just the way God made me. Or, you know, hey, boys will be boys after all, and girls will be girls, and this is just who I am. And, and, and a lot of these things is us holding on to or embracing or accepting a reality for our lives that God doesn't necessarily want for us. Uh, I heard a, a story of a, a, a young lady. This is a story I heard from uh, a preacher on the radio or TV or somewhere, but uh, a young lady that, this particular young lady had experienced all sorts of, of trauma in her life. She, she had things said to her and done to her that shouldn't be said or done uh, to anyone, and, and, and she ends up in a church, and she ends up giving her life to Christ, and she ends up going through a, a discipleship process and counseling and all these things, but in her counseling, there is an obstacle that she had difficulty overcoming. She continued to hold on to a lie that she had believed that wasn't true, and, and so she would repeatedly say things like, well, I'm just a dirty person, I'm just a bad person, and so I do dirty things, I do bad things. See, God wants, us, wants to form us. He wants to move us beyond past realities and into a new story, a new reality, being formed into the image of Christ. Uh, and so when I think about this idea of being formed and, and this idea of, of changing identities and, and those sorts of things, I, I think about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, uh, and I, I know typically when we think of, you know, spiritual formation and, and, and this idea of being formed, I, I think maybe sometimes we automatically go to a more uh, personal or, or individual type of thing, but, but the nation of Israel is this, this great story about God calling out a people, forming them into a nation uh, for God's plans and purposes of the world, his plans to, to renew and to transform the entire globe. And so when I think about formation, I think about the nation of Israel. Now, of course, if you know the story of Israel, you know that this story is full of ups and downs, and sometimes it might seem like there's more downs than ups, and, and it seems that frequently the Israelites are resisting this process or not submitting to these plans that God has and, and kind of rebelling and pushing back against them. And I know, again, none of you can relate to that. It's probably just the Israelites that do that. But a big part of Israel's story, a big part of Israel's identity, 
is the story of the Exodus. Because it's the story of the Exodus that, that begins to give them their identity, their, 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 their purpose, their, their narrative. It's the story of, of Israel, that, uh, of the Exodus, that, that shows that Israel is indeed a free and a chosen people. See, it was during the, the Exodus that, that the Israelites, they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness being formed. Being prepared, being prepared to, to enter into the promised land, being, being uh, uh, formed and, and, and taught what it means to be the people of God. They spent 40 years in the wilderness in this formation process so that they could be the great nation that God had called them to be, that they could be the nation that the Christ, the Messiah, would, would come out of so that the whole world would be blessed and saved through them. Now, but the story of the Exodus and the story of the Israelites doesn't start there in the wilderness. It starts a lot sooner than that. Technically, it starts like in Genesis 1, but we're going to skip ahead to Egypt just because uh, we don't want to go through all of Genesis this morning. So we're going to skip ahead to Egypt. And, and, and so what we have here uh, is a, uh, through a series of events, Abraham and his descendants. And now you guys probably know who Abraham is, right? God uh, promised to make him a great nation. So Abraham grows up. He has a son named Isaac. Uh, Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Uh, Israel has 12 sons. These 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so it's this group of people that through a series of events end up in Egypt. Uh, and, and at first, when they're in Egypt, uh, everything is, is pretty good for them. One of, uh, one of their people, Joseph, he's uh, in a position of power. Uh, and, and things are looking good, but Joseph end, ends up dying, and the current pharaoh ends up dying, and a new pharaoh comes to power and looks at all the Israelite people and starts to get a little bit nervous. And he says, there's a lot of them, and they're growing. And it won't be too long before they decide to overthrow us, and so we have to do something about it. And so the Pharaoh enslaves all the Israelite people. And, and apparently the, the following Pharaohs thought this was a, a pretty good plan to have the, the slaved people, this free workforce. And so for the next 400 years, Israel is in bondage in Egypt. They are slaves. And if your people are slaves for that long, it seems that becomes their identity. That becomes their reality. That becomes their story. They, they were enslaved people and they did slave people things. But if you know the story, if you've seen the movie, you know what happens next. You know God shows up, right? God sends Moses, this great leader, this great prophet, to Egypt. And through a whole other series of events and, you know, ten plagues and this uh, divine persuasion, uh, Pharaoh finally says, okay, you're free, you can go. So Israel packs up all their bags. They head out into the desert, marching away from Egypt. And Pharaoh kind of looks out the window and he looks at all this work he has to do and, and he says, I think I've made a terrible mistake. I'm not going to be cleaning the toilets. We need those guys back here. Right? We need my slaves back right now. And so he gets all of his chariots together, 600 of his best chariots and then some other chariots is what the Bible says. And he sends them out to get the Israelites back. 
Meanwhile, the Israelites are marching through the desert, away from Egypt, away from bondage. And I could imagine that they start hearing the, the rumble of the chariots, the, the, the trampling of the horses. Is that, I don't know, the, the hoofbeats? They, they hear the horses, and they turn back, and they see this giant cloud of dust. They see all these angry Egyptian soldiers charging after them. And so they think, what are we going to do? We've got to escape. Where can we go? And they look forward, and all they see is a giant body of water in front of them. It seemed impassable. And so they're afraid. And they start to moan and groan and grumble and complain. And they, they talk to Moses and they say things like, Moses, did you bring us out here just so we would die? Moses, wouldn't it have been better for us to stay in Egypt as slaves than to be out here uh, in the desert to be killed by these angry Egyptian soldiers? Is it because there wasn't enough graves in Egypt? Is that why you brought us out here, Moses? Now, I, I know we, we like to give the Israelites a hard time for all their complaining and grumbling and, and all the stuff we, we read about in the Bible. But, like, I'll complain if I have to stay on hold for a customer service line for too long. So, if I was in this situation and I saw this army coming after me and I saw this big body of water, I would be saying the same things, and you guys probably would too. It would be terrifying. This angry army chasing after you, seemingly no way to escape. In the midst of all this fear and all this complaining and grumbling, Moses steps up to the microphone, and this is what he says. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, it says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And so Moses lifts his staff up above the water. And you know the story. Uh, you've seen Charlton Heston do it. The, the waters split, right? The Israelites cross over on dry ground. The Egyptian army catches up and they say, hey, we got to get the slaves back for Pharaoh because if we don't, he's going to be upset. So let's cross through this. Like, I would not have done that if I was an Egyptian soldier. Like, no, thank you. Uh, but they, they cross over and then God allows the water to go back to its natural state. The Egyptian army is destroyed. And now the Israelites are on one side of this big body of water, and Egypt is on the other side. And then it's recorded in the book of Exodus. This is chapter 14, verse 30. It says, That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. See, it was after the Israelites had passed through the water when they finally saw and began to understand they were no longer slaves. They began to put their trust in God. They began to, to see Moses as their leader. See, because now they were out of reach of Egypt, the water separated them from their old reality and their new reality. 
And they saw there in, in, the, in the Red Sea, they saw the forces of Egypt, their dead, and, and the power that once held them captive was no more. They were no longer slaves. They were now a free people, and they could do free people things. The problem is they didn't quite understand what that meant. Because when you're a slave for 400 years, you're not sure exactly what it means to not be a slave. And so it's going to take them some time to figure some things out. And, and they're going to figure a lot of that out in the, in the wilderness. You know, God's going to give them the law. And, and they're going to experience different miracles and all kinds of different things. And they're going to figure some of that out. They're going to learn what it means to be a free and chosen people of God. They're going to learn exactly who they are and whose they are. But at this moment, as they see Egypt in the distance and the army destroyed before them, at this moment, at the very least, they knew they were no longer slaves. Now, for centuries, uh, the, the Christian people have looked at this story and, and seen parallels to our story, the Christian story. See, because our story is also about enslavement. Our story is also about being held captive by uh, evil and nefarious powers. That's a good word, right? Nefarious. I like it. But it's not enslavement to a world power, right? It was enslavement to sin. It was being held captive by the power of death over our lives. It was being enslaved to the, to the lies that we have believed about ourselves, like I'm just a dirty and bad person, and so I will do dirty and bad things. I am only human after all. And so we were enslaved. This is a condition that all of humanity found ourselves in. And then, you know the story, God shows up. But this time, God doesn't just send a great leader and a great prophet. This time, God comes himself in the form of Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% human, God in the flesh. And he comes and he conquers on our behalf the power of sin. And he conquers on our behalf the power of death. And he, and he leads us into the truth of his love. Well, how did Jesus conquer sin? Well, first, Jesus conquered sin because as he walked this earth, he never fell into sin. This is what it says. This is in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. But, but that's not all. See, because if, if that's all that Jesus did was just come and not sin, that would have been great for him but it wouldn't really have done anything for us. Uh, and so, it, sure, that's a, a significant and important part of the story, but if he didn't do anything else, then that means sin would still have dominion over us. Sin would, sin would still have power over us. Uh, see, the fact that Moses wasn't a slave Sure, is significant and important to the story, but if he never went back to Egypt and stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Pharaoh, then what would that mean for the Israelite people? And so Peter writes this about Jesus. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. And it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross 
so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. See, Jesus conquered sin, yeah, in his own life, but he conquered sin in another way. He conquered sin at the cross. And it was at the cross that that Jesus grabbed sin by the throat, and as Jesus died, he dragged sin down into the grave with him, to the very depths of hell in the grave. And, And once sin had been conquered, he looked across the room, and he saw the power of death, and he said, I'm coming for you next. That deserves something. And we know the story. On the third day, Christ defeated death by rising again to a new and a glorified life, a life that we who put our trust in him can now enjoy, a life that we look forward to. And so that's why every Easter we get together and we say, he is risen. And that's why every Sunday when we're getting together and we're worshiping, we are worshiping the resurrection of Christ. We are saying he is risen. And every time that we uh, go out into the world and and by the things that we say and the way we live and and the, the way we carry ourselves and all these things, we are telling those around us that Jesus is alive. See, the powers of Egypt were defeated at the Red Sea. And at the cross, the powers of sin and death were defeated. So we're talking about being formed. That was just my intro, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. You guys. We're talking about being formed. And so this morning, in an indirect kind of roundabout way, what, what I have been talking about is the beginning of that formation process. What I've been talking about in an indirect way, I've been talking about baptism. Baptism. Now, I love the topic of baptism. I, I, I love it. I like to read about it. I like to listen to people debate over different aspects of it. I just really like the, the topic of baptism. And there's so, so much that could be said and talked about regarding this topic. In fact, this week, as I was kind of putting fillers out for, for resources and things, I came across a 42-volume set written in the late 1800s, early 1900s, over 14,000 pages, and all of it was about baptism. And so I thought what any normal people would think is, I want that. <laughs> I know you're probably, would you really read 14,000? No, I'm not going to read it. I just want it. There's a difference between collecting books and reading books. I won't tell you which one I do. All right. So there's, the point is this, there's a bunch we could talk about. There's debates we could kind of hash out, and all that's good and important. You know, it's, it's good to think about what we believe about certain things. And so this week as I was actually, honestly, kind of struggling to figure out what to say and what not to say, I I just kind of came down to this one thing that I just, I want to say. Just like when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, just like when, when they went through the waters, they knew that they were no longer slaves. They knew then that everything in their life has changed. They knew that they were starting a brand new chapter in their life. Just like that, we too, when we are baptized, when we go through the waters in faith, we know, we know we are no longer slaves to sin. 
We know that the power of death no longer has mastery over us. We know that everything in our life at that moment has changed. A new chapter has begun. It doesn't mean we've got it all figured out. But it means something new is happening. The formation process has begun. And we find that description of baptism in the Bible. This is my favorite passage, baptism, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. It says this, don't you know, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Love that passage. See, baptism is the first step. Baptism is the the starting point of the Christian walk. Uh, And and so if you trust Jesus with your life, if you trust Jesus in all things, if you trust Jesus for your salvation, then be baptized. If you desire to follow Jesus, then follow Jesus in baptism because remember, he too was baptized. And as we follow Jesus in his baptism, we remember, just as we read in Romans, we remember that we are also following him in his death. And as we are following him in his death, we are also following him in his resurrection so that we may live a new life. Remember, it says, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, it's at the water of baptism where we know that everything has changed where we know that that we are free, where we know that sin, death, and all those lies that we sometimes believe have been laid waste before us and are dead in the water like the forces of Egypt. Baptism is the beginning of the formation journey. It's so, so important. We're going to wrap up today. And and the question we should ask ourselves at at really at the end of any message we hear at church is how can we respond to the words that we have heard? First, I mean, probably painfully obvious. First, if you have never been baptized before and, and you would say, yes, I do put my trust in Christ. Yes, I do wish to follow him in all things. Yes, I want to follow him in his baptism. I want to follow him to new life. Uh, To you, the only proper response if you've not been baptized before and you follow Christ is be baptized. This week, contact one of the pastors. Contact the church. We'll set it up. Be baptized. It's so important. For others of you who are like, yeah, I've done that. I followed and obeyed Christ in baptism. Then, then today, I simply ask you to remember and, re- and to reflect on your own baptism. Remember that, that moment that when, like the Israelites, crossing the Red Sea changed everything, where, where the story of your baptism is that point in your life where everything changed. And, and, and it's my hope, it's my prayer, it's, it, I just, that that story 
would take root and be a core foundational part of your identity of who you are. Remembering and looking back on all the things that Christ has done in your life, looking at this amazing journey that Christ has brought you on from there till here. And so that whenever you come across water, may it act as a reminder for what Christ has done for you. When you're in the bath, when you're in the shower, when you're scraping bugs off the windshield of your car, when you see that water, you can remember, yeah, God cleaned me up like this too. When you're floating down the river and the guy in front of you keeps splashing water on you, Ted, use it to remember your baptism so that the story and the experience of that would continue to form you more and more and shape you more and more into the image of Christ for the benefit of his kingdom and for the sake of the world. God is good. And all the time. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you for what you have done in our lives. Lord, I thank you that you have indeed defeated the powers of sin, death, and hell, Lord. And God, I pray that you would help us to put our trust in you continually each and every day. Lord, I pray that you would speak to those here who need to follow you in obedience and faith in the waters of baptism. And Lord, I pray for others who we have done that part of the journey a long time ago. Lord, may it continue to shape us and continue to form us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.
send you out with the blessings of God, that the, the awe and the wonder of what Christ has done for you would be with you and fill your heart this week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. May you stay.